Consumer Focus with Martin Newman. Hello and welcome to Consumer Focus, bringing you expert advice and opinion on customer service and the Great British High Street. My name is Martin Newman and I've worked in commerce for more than 35 years and I am absolutely dedicated to championing the consumer and helping businesses to develop the best possible strategies for their customers. Today, I have the pleasure and the privilege to be joined by Saskia Wood and Sophie Charlotte, who have both worked on the shop floor for brands including Lush, Clinique and Estee Lauder. They've dealt with unruly customers, malfunctioning products, the rush hour, and they have a unique insight into shoppers and their natural habitat. So what information and advice can they pass on to the corporate boardroom? Sophie and Saskia, thank you for joining me. Thank you. No, uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Same. So, Saskia, you worked in Lush. Lush Mm -hmm. is a very strong customer service brand of being extroverted, and some might say full on. Uh, Did you? So, I suppose first thing I'd like to ask is, did you enjoy working in that atmosphere, and did your customers really embrace it? I'd say fifty-fifty. I enjoy. It does differ a lot, branch by branch. So, I enjoyed it in the first branch maybe not so much in the second it is very full-on it is very very full-on it's it's a lot of emotional labor right i'd say and what does that mean so for example if you if someone came into the store and they just didn't want to talk to you um you would almost you'd be made to feel not bad but it was evident that they were upset with you the management was upset with you if you didn't make someone like your best friend oh really yeah. Even if that consumer didn't want any Yeah, help. yeah, 100%. Right. Yeah. That's interesting because there are different types of shopping behaviour, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, what I, I'm what I would class a self-service customer. Mm. You know, it generally puts my back up when mm. people offer me I, I help really agree. in a yeah. store. So I like to find things myself. Yeah. Invariably, I end up needing that help at some point, <laughs> but I'd rather do that in my own terms. No, yeah, I think they used to have a traffic light system you know, like green, amber, red. But then right. they were like, let's just stop saying red. So, <laughs> so the intent was you had to engage with everyone. Yeah, even yeah. Even if they didn't want to be engaged with or not. I think it, it did convert to sales, to be honest. It did convert to sales. But I also think there's a lot of people that just don't come into the store because mm. they know that the staff there are like that. Oh, really? So I wonder how many more they'd make if they had, like... If they had more of a balanced approach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Recognised different types of customers in there. Their desires, if you like. Yeah. Like, I've had a lot of my friends say that they just shop online because they don't want to be, like, harassed by it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it was my job. (laughs) I was told to do this. I apologise. Yeah. And what you mentioned the fact that you enjoyed one store and more than the other. What was it that just different people Um, or was it anything else? So I moved from uh, Bristol to London. So obviously it was a lot busier. Yeah. Um, And just being understaffed was was never good. It's never good. It's a perennial issue that consumers actually, when I find I do quite a lot of research and talking to consumers about the things that frustrate them about, you know, buying online, buying offline. And everybody always talks about, you know, the lack of service in the store, mainly as a result of not enough people. Mm. So finding it hard to find somebody that can actually That's something that Lush was really good at. Yeah, Yeah, they employed a lot of people. So they had that going for them, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Sophie, in, in terms of your experience? Did you have anything similar? Were you... You know, was there a real focus on that sort of level of service and enge- having to engage with everybody that walked through the door? Or? Sure. So you would, um, 
of course have some people that like yourself would be coming in directly wanting knowing what they want and then going mm-hmm. um you'd still be encouraged to uh engage with them on some level but i think um certainly in our training there was a we've certainly encouraged to ask a lot of open questions mm-hmm. and try to get to know them a little bit to make a connection yeah. that was the idea yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think that's a good way of going about it i think sometimes certainly um in the beauty industry and at counter level there is a really eager sort of um approach to sales and sort of going straight at customers as soon as they hit the counter and I think sometimes that can be quite off-putting to a lot of people Um, I would always wait five or ten seconds to see if somebody's actually not just passing by Um, and is that because of the is that because of the competitiveness of all the different beauty brands um, in that environment or is that just a general thing that you find within beauty it's not necessarily because of the competitors. It is because of your own targets that are set. Right. Um, when I was working um, uh, for Clinique, for example, mm. we would all have an individual target and a counter target and everything that we would sell would be recorded. Um, and I think that works in a sense of, um, you know, you have a target to try and aim for. Sure. But of course, you know, if you're really trying, keen on trying to hit that and there isn't a lot of footfall, you do find yourself kind of pouncing, pouncing, <laughs> pouncing on anybody that happens to be hanging around. And because you are yeah. also a little bit in competition with the other person or the other people that will be on your counter. Yeah. Um, sometimes you take it in turns, but a lot of the time it is sort mm. of dashing. <laughs> Presumably you are incentivized for those those targets. So if you achieved them, you, you earned commission then, did you? Um. That came it came part of it, yeah. yeah. Um, a little bit later on, a lot of the brands do have a commission, though. Yes. Yeah. So just maybe carrying on from that, talking about getting up close and personal <laughs> with customers, which you were keen to do when you had your your targets to make. Um, do you think it's better to be extroverted or hold back a little? You know, how do you make a judgment of what your customer wants? How do you read that that kind of body language? I think um, it's good to be able to read people and that within a few moments of your interaction, Mm. you should be able to gauge really what kind of experience that person wants. Uh, Some people are super chatty and wanted to, because I was working within the duty free, so people would be talking about their holidays and, you know, you could really latch on and have a good thorough conversation with them. But some other people just want to be left alone. Mm. And it's, it's good to respect that and just ask what, questions you need to ask to find them an appropriate product yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah i think being able to like read people is a good yeah. uh skill to good have. feedback you would say the same Saskia, presumably from what you were yeah definitely yeah. i mean having done it for like five years <laughs> it gets a little bit easier to read people the longer you do it for but yeah definitely especially in lush because you know there were as i said some people that really didn't want to talk to you and it i yeah. i wish in those moments i was kind of allowed to yeah. step back a little bit so that um, would be that would be your feedback to the to the board of directors of lost yeah, them to yeah i think so not treat everyone the same and yeah. have that flexibility to... although luckily i was i've never worked in a store that's on commission and i right. think it makes just a it drives their own behavior it sometimes. makes a lot more of a team environment i think when mm. people aren't on commission so right. i think that's so that's interesting so you were all encouraged very much to have dialogue with everyone that came into the store yeah but there was no pressure was there pressure of targets it was kind of as a store yeah as a team for a the collective day performance yeah right. um and then there was like, like a tiny incentive for yeah. that but it wasn't individual so i think that it meant that everyone worked together a lot better mm. that's mm. a really interesting way of um 
tackling that, mm. if you like, uh, you know, in, in a collaborative yeah, team exactly. building sense. Yeah. What, Saskia, just keeping with you, what for you stops you doing a really, or what stopped you doing a really good job for your customers when you were in, when you were at Lush? Aside from maybe having that, being feeling forced to talk to customers all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, apart from the people that genuinely didn't want to be spoken to, they were a very good company at kind of enabling me to get the right product for the customer. Like they mm-hmm. never said like they never said to sell something that the customer wouldn't want because then there's returns. So yeah. that's just not it's not common sense to try and force a sale if there's gonna be a return. Yeah. Um but really being understaffed I'd say, like in the broader everywhere I've worked in retail, mm. um being understaffed is the number one thing that really it just puts everyone's mood down, I think. Mm. It just puts everyone's mood down when you have to do, like, double the work, yeah. triple the work, and you're trying to speak to more than one customer at once. You can't be all things to all people. Yeah, so I'd definitely so. say, like, invest mm. in the amount of staff, and then yeah. they're not going to be overworked. They're going to yeah. work a lot better. They'll deliver better results and mm. be more focused. No, I totally agree. Just just on that note, and, and I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Sophie, as well, but what, I, what I'm keen to understand is Lush is a business. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a firm believer in if you want to be customer-centric, which I absolutely believe 100% in, you first of all have to be employee-centric. Because mm. if you don't put your employees at the heart of everything you do, you can't expect them to put your customers at the heart of everything they do either. So I suppose that to some extent plays to that because if you're not if you're not resourcing effectively or you yeah. know if you don't have the appropriate level of resource you're putting in sort of insurmountable pressures to some extent mm. on on the on the colleagues that you have available at that time. I mean, do you think Lush as a business has that approach do they do they really think about putting employees first? Um as, I as a think... part of the culture. I think they do, but I think it almost goes too far where, like, sometimes we'd have, like, daily games or daily, mm-hmm. um, like, sell 10 pink things or something like that. But some days it would be like, oh, say your favourite thing about working here. And it's like, oh, the money. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not here for fun. And I think sure. it's really nice that, you know, we didn't have a commission, so it was a family, like, a family environment. But yeah. that can sometimes go too far and a lot of their ethics, it was kind of like... They're they're not apologetic about their ethics, which is completely fair enough, Mm. but if you work there and you don't have ethics that align with what they're trying to promote, it can become quite difficult. It's Mm. quite political. Yeah, yeah, it can become really difficult. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, there's been political campaigns of late. (laughs) Yeah, trying to make a family but not trying to make a cult Mm. is the fine line, I'd say. It's a good line, it's a good line. Yeah. What, what about from your experience, Sophie? If you are um, sort of inhibited from giving a sort of a nice tailored experience to a customer, um, ultimately you're going to end up with people waiting um, mm. and just sort of having a insufficient, not so great sort of experience. So I think from a consumer perspective, like trying to make sure that you are adequately staffing uh, the shop floor mm. is, is, is key. Um, can, can I just ask you a quick question? Can technology play a part as well? Is there an opportunity for technology to address those customers that are waiting to be served because you're delivering more of a hands-on experience or personalised experience to other customers? I think so, actually. Um, with Estee Lauder, for example, um, uh, although it would largely be operated by a sales assistant, mm-hmm. but they have like a foundation matcher. Right. And there's also, um, they have iPads too, yeah. where you can like put that in front of you and it will like essentially put a certain lipstick colour on you. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a really good um, example of using technology to mm. supplement uh, customer care. Yeah. Um, 
I think as well in person you can do it as well. If yeah. you can see that somebody is, um, for example, looking to try on a lipstick and is waiting for you to sanitize it, you know, you can bring the sanit sanitary you know products over mm -hmm. for them to actually do it themselves. I think that there is a skill to it as a you know as as a sales assistant, but there is technology certainly that could supplement. Mm, I would have thought so. You know, did did Clinic or do Clinic and Estee Lauder do they have an employee first? sort of culture and approach i i actually think so yeah. um what's really great um whilst working under them you were given a, a monthly allocation of products mm -hmm. um that would be under the estee lauder umbrella right. um and you could try out lots of new products they would also would they would also fly you to to another country for training mm. and put you up in a hotel mm -hmm. um it it was so yeah. you felt like they were making that investment in you in terms of helping you to become that better sales associate, totally, and learning about the product, etc. Yeah, and at the training, um, there would be people who would be within the sort of upper echelons of the company that mm. would actually show their face and come and greet yeah. you and yeah. uh, be present during the training sessions, which I thought was really good. Can I just ask you both a question on that? Because I, I have this kind of premise, if you like, in mind, or um, theory, um, which is I don't believe that millennials, you're both millennials, I don't believe that... I'm actually younger than a millennial. You're younger oh, than yeah. a millennial. Oh my yeah. goodness. I've just committed the ultimate faux pas. I'm the next. I'm the next. I think Gen Z, I think, Gen Z, actually. wow. Well, I do apologise. <laughs> so one millennial and one Gen Z. But um, there, there's this kind of premise, I guess, that or this theory that people have that, you know, Gen Z and millennials and soon it will be Generation Alpha um, mm -hmm. don't like to stay in jobs for more than sort of six months or a year. And my my perspective has always been that I think if you create the right environment, if you've got a good culture, if it's a business that you can identify with, you've got shared values, you know, it's a brand with a purpose, it's socially responsible. And it for you individually, it creates a, a career path and you know, tells you know, makes it clear that there is an opportunity for you to learn new things. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think that you know? Do you think you would hang around if it, if there was a business like that, or do you ultimately feel that the pressure, or not the pressure, the opportunity to go and experience more things is more of a pull? Trying to understand, you know, how you know the younger generations view being in an environment these days and the sort of amount of time they're prepared to hang around. Um, I personally, if I find myself working for a company that has a great ethos, that has a you know wonderful working culture, yeah. um, and that has you know the scope for for growth, professional growth, mm. personal growth, uh, I'd absolutely stick around. Yeah. Um, even within my previous role, I mean, I've gone off to uni now, but in the previous role that I was in for Clinique, because I really liked the company, I was dealing with like really arduous working hours i was starting work at five and seven a.m mm. i did that for 18 months mm -hmm. uh, there's a really high turnover rate mm -hmm. um for generally people working on the shop floor and duty free mm. um but like i stuck around because i really liked the company and even like after i graduate i'd be interested in trying to sort of enter the head office because mm. i i really like them so I think um, I can only speak for myself, sure. but I I do think that people value good working cultures. Yep, yep. Um, I'd agree. Yeah, I would completely agree. Yep. Um, with the high turnover rate amongst young people, I think it mainly starts because um, people get part time jobs while they're in school or in uni. Like that's how I've always done yeah. retail. Like I'm only twenty, but I've already done like five years of retail because yeah. I started really young, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just as part time. But I think. Retail and the service industry needs to be viewed as the new factory work because it is. 
it's that's kind of that's now going to be the bread and butter of people that don't have quote unquote careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's kind of still not being viewed as that. It's like a lot of people that I've worked with over the years have kind of treated retail as a side hustle, as like is you know such a millennial buzzword as mm-hmm. side hustle. I've learned um, something new already. Today. Yeah, so people have <laughs> yeah. people have like a three day, four day a week retail job, and then they do something creative on the side. Right, um, and that's kind of what I'm the position I'm in now. But yeah, I think it takes a while, and I think it takes a while to bounce around a few different places to find out what your to find a retail job that can actually help your career. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are quite a few for that. So, for example, like yours, maybe if someone that you worked with wanted to be a makeup artist like that would completely help i've got friends that are actually graduating from um like makeup university that have Mm -hmm. a degree in doing makeup for fashion that Mm -hmm. now trying to find fashion counter job like a makeup counter job sure um but if they'd done that before then they'd already have the experience so yeah yeah, it's a fine line some of that's about the communication though isn't it you know if the i think a lot of that's down to the organization if the organization makes it clear when you come in that there are options for you, mm. you know, in terms of where your career path goes. You could start here. You know, you might start on the shop mm. floor, but mm. you never know. There might be an opportunity that opens up in exactly. the head office to get more deeply involved yeah. in in a particular area that you, you know, that you really enjoy. I think mm. there's a, I know it's very, it's hard to manage from the organization's perspective, mm. but there is a, I think there's a real lack of communication around that. Yeah. <laughs> what I'd like to talk about now is um, whether or not you think the boardroom knows the problems or the positives of, of what the shop floors are actually experiencing. I'll start with you, Sophie. And the reason why I ask that is back in the day um, when I was working on the shop floor a long, long mm-hmm. time ago, you had people like Sir Terry Leahy who ran Tesco mm-hmm. and Andy Bond who used to run Asda. And the best retailers that I can always remember like that, they would use, they would walk the floor. Yeah. They would talk to not only customers, but they would talk to colleagues. Mm-hmm. And they would that's where they would get their best learnings and the best insight because people would tell them what's working. It's a bit like undercover boss, but just being upfront <laughs> about it. Yeah. yeah, You know, what's working, what's not working. And I think if you give people that opportunity to talk to you in that environment, they'd generally be very open. Yeah. But um, do you, with your experience, or do you, is, does your instinct tell you that the boardroom really knows what's going on on the shop floor um i think it obviously would differ brand to brand yeah um again um in my experience um like for example if you have somebody who's coming from the boardroom or or from sort of uh the upper levels of 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 management Mm -hmm. um we would we would be told and we would of course prepare the counter or or whatever else to try and make it as, as nice as we could but they would come um and like for example i can remember one instance um there was like very high level management coming in from New York mm-hmm. and like they were walking the counter and like they noticed, yeah <laughs> oh my god I was so scared and like she noticed that like one of the mirrors was like broken or mm. not broken but sort of lodged in not correctly yeah and like she raised it and like it was kind of um I mean it was a little bit scary but like I think kind of if there is a disconnection between that sort of level of management and what's going on on the ground, I think a lot of things could be let to slide. Sure. Um, uh, but also, I think it's good for morale to know that there is a link between the two. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. Great. Saskia, what do we Yeah, I really agree with the um, statement that you said about things, letting things slide. If, yeah. 
um, like top managers don't come into the store. I actually worked for um, Ghost for about a year, which mm. was the Man of Dragon's Den, Tuka. Yes. <laughs> and he used to come into the shop really frequently and it really, really helped. Like, say if we had a bestseller that week, mm. he'd immediately increase production for that so that we weren't right. unstocked. And that right. was really, really useful. Yeah. And I can see, like, the places I've worked where people didn't do that, we'd always be, you know, out of stock of certain things. Yeah. And even if the managers did the buying, mm. they if it's not in stock in the factory, then they can't buy mm. it in. So I think mm. that really, really helps just to, just to check. Mm. <laughs> and, like, this is the place that's making you money, so why would you not, yeah, not want to? Well, it's the insight, isn't it? I mean, mm. and that's the best example of it, mm. where by coming into the store and talking to you and finding out, or talking to other colleagues and finding out what the best-selling styles were and then going doing something about it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Ramping up production in order to capitalise on the opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. that's what makes him, I would think, such an effective entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Saskia, staying with you, um, it's got to be said that being a shop assistant is usually a short-term job for young people. And we have kind of touched on this. What do businesses need to do outside of what I've already covered and we've covered? What do you think they need to do to encourage younger younger colleagues to stick around a bit longer what would you what would be the incentive for you to make you more inclined to stay later and longer is it about recognizing there's an upward ladder or learning new skills or what would it be um for me personally so this is actually a good opportunity to ask this question because I'm just about to graduate on Thursday. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm staying in my current retail job. Right. Like I'm planning on staying for longer than I originally did. Yeah. First of all, because they pay London living wage, which I think everyone should. And you're allowed to see where that is. Um, yeah, Universal Works. Universal yeah. Works. I mean, I'm singing their praises, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. don't think they'd be annoyed. Sure, um, absolutely. First of all, they pay London living <clears throat> wage, which <throat> I think every retail job should, because <clears throat> if I think about the retail jobs that I only stayed in for four months, it's because they paid £8 an hour. Right. <laughs> and if you know, you c- in London especially, if you know you can do maybe not the same job, but a very similar job for more money, you're not going to not. Mm. You're yeah. not going to You're not gonna stop looking around if you know that you can be paid a lot more. Sure. Um, and also I'd say flexibility is a massive one because if you're doing retail three days a week and something else two or three days a week, then the, the amount of effort that it goes into time management is really, really difficult. And say if your job says, oh, okay, one week you've got to work a Tuesday and a Friday and the next week you've got to work a Saturday and a Monday, you're not going to be able to plan the rest of your life. And Universal Works gives you that flexibility. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really good. They're a really Great. good company. Great. Sophie, what about you from your perspective? What would be the the key drivers to ensuring you wanted to, you know, invest more of your time in that particular role? Um. So, again, with the previous role that I was in for Clinique, um, they were quite good for this. Um, so there was a... Uh, they wanted to essentially have digital advocates for each um counter Mm -hmm. basically would mean that you would essentially create a social media platform and support new product launches and you know create a link between the makeovers and the demonstrations that you Mm -hmm. be doing on counter and then on social media and that is actually for me i found that great because um it gave me a little bit of social media experience content making that kind of thing so were you were you actually directly posting on social media from the store yeah about demonstrations about Mm -hmm. what new products yeah absolutely and like it got picked up Mm. by the uh emea 
uh, regional manager yeah. and she started like using my posts in her training and like all of this stuff is great to put on your CV. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I was able to sort of utilize that to then get a communications internship and it what started also very trusting. Is, yeah. Very trusting, you know, to empower you, which I think is great, you know, mm. empowerment. Empowerment is key both in terms of empowering customers, but also empowering you as a colleague mm-hmm. to be able to do that, to be able to have that freedom to engage with consumers through social media, you know, totally. very, very engaging or very powerful thing for the brand to do. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it certainly belies some trust onto the person mm. uh, creating it. And totally. it was, um, yeah, it was just a fun experience, but it's also good for the brand, isn't it? Because, you know, yep. you've got more people creating a buzz about it on social media. Yeah. Um, and you're giving somebody some creative freedom to to create, well, to to gain more transferable skills. Yeah. So I think that was a good, mm-hmm. good example. Just on that note, do you think do you think retail is a young person's job? Um, not necessarily. Yep. Um, for the retailers that I've worked for, because um, I did used to work for John Lewis as well. Mm-hmm. Most of my department was over thirty. Right. Um, that was in the kitchen. That's where. really old. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't but even like, begin to tell you exactly how old I am. <laughs> but like, but uh, there are also people in their forties, fifties, yeah. even some people in their sixties. But I think with John Lewis, for example, like they have a partnership scheme where in which you are essentially you, you own a little part yeah. of John Lewis, yeah. and so you get a bonus every year, and there's they they pay and they they treat their their staff very well. Mm. So I think there's something respectable about having that job. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, you know, it's it's deemed, retail is deemed to have, you know, to, to be a young, young person's yeah. job or, or to not be a crew, which I yeah, think is kind of not nice. Yeah, I yeah, think no. that's the issue. Yeah. yeah, because that is the new, that's the new bread and butter of everyone. Yeah. You know, not everyone can have a quote-unquote career, but having a long-term job, that's, yeah. retail's the new, the new factory. Yeah, the new factories. Yeah. Yeah. Why shouldn't it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, providing providing that the retailer sees that and provides you still with opportunities to develop within that yeah, environment yeah, yeah, as much course. as possible. So you don't see it as a young person's job per se? Um, I think at the moment it is just because obviously in this country we used to have a lot of industry that we don't have anymore. Yeah. And a lot of those manufacturing jobs don't, the skills are not transferable mm-hmm. to retail. And we've seen, you know, the mass unemployment that's come from that and i think it will start to become an older person's job but um i think for the moment young people because we've grown up with this being our way to make money yeah then we have those skills needed for retail and maybe some people that have been in manufacturing jobs their whole lives can't not can't but (laughs) find it a lot more difficult you know what might be just thinking about it as you're talking there what might be interesting as an approach um some retailers that i know including mosaic who were at one point, or Aurora actually, I think they were called Aurora Fashions, and they had Karen Millen and Warehouse and Coast, mm-hmm. you know, within their stable. And what they did, which was really clever, is they created a shadow board, and that shadow board was made up of Gen Z and millennials, because what that then meant was that, you know, ultimately you guys have, you will, you know, that younger generation will always have a more up to date sort of capability mm. and knowledge around technology, and how how you're engaging with technology, and so that then meant that there were there were people in the business that could advise the board mm. and help them think more effectively about what technology to invest in and what they should be planning for. Maybe you could do something in the physical environment as well. You know, maybe you you could be, you know, the shadow store manager. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe what we need in retail is somebody that's 
relatively new into the business, a bit younger, mm. who has maybe more of an up to date view of, you know, again, what some what, what many consumers are looking for. Mm. Just to bring that sort of slightly different perspective, you might maybe that's the way we do things today, but maybe there's another way of doing it. It's almost like having a, a sort of um, a conscience on your shoulder. <laughs> you know, if you were the store manager, you've got someone there that can bring some insight that you might not otherwise be aware of yeah yeah exactly actually lush was quite good at kind of encouraging everyone to make suggestions right in that way yeah i think it it really goes a long way to have um a very transparent kind of up the ladder of yeah ever like you said when people would come into store from upper management yeah. i think it makes a lot of sense makes it much more well you you, you just learn a lot more don't you it's more collaborative mm. people aren't scared to speak their mind and give idea you know talk about things that might 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 work better mm. if we tried it another way mm. and is that something that they did did they encourage that formally or was that was it just really part again part of the culture um i think yeah well the the managers were obviously really involved with everyone on the mm. shop floor um just for, through seeing them every day um yeah. and i yeah and i'd say it was encouraged maybe not formally but it was encouraged definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sophie, a quick question for you. Uh, going back to the boardroom again, um, a lot of people that, that a lot of people that sit on the boards of our retail and consumer facing businesses have never actually done a frontline role. They've never been on the counter, mm. you know, within within the beauty concessions within John Lewis or wherever it happens yeah. to be, or they've never been on the shop floor of Lush for that matter. Um, do you think that's a weakness? Um, I think so. Um, I know that there are some companies, and um, although. Th- the particular beauty concession brands did not do this, mm. but um, within the the airport itself, the people who worked within head office, again within upper tiers of management, they spent four or five days on the shop floor, um, and they do that once a year. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to do. Yep, um, because uh, you essentially get hands on experience of what it's like for the people working beneath you. Sure. Um, and again, it's sort of it, it gives you an opportunity to sort of see where there might be um, particular uh, products to, to you know, capitalise on or even to see if there is something that isn't particularly up to standard um, and just sort of getting an idea of what it's like uh, to, to, to work for the brand that you are essentially you mm. know, directing in some way. I think that's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah I mean, wouldn't it be great if, you know, the operations of management and the leadership of the business not only spent time on the shop floor or on behind the beauty counter, but maybe went through the whole journey of a product, mm. the life cycle of that product, you know, as well as the customer journey. I mean, I think that's something that our, you know, our hierarchy maybe could do more of, you know, actually behave like customers, buy things online, buy them in store, take, try taking them back and see where the barriers are, you know, um, mm. but also going through... The, the back end, if you like, so from the point of view of when a product is ordered to when it's delivered to the warehouse, maybe getting in a truck mm. and going out with the drivers of the, as they're delivering pallets, yeah. you know, to the to the back of the store for replenishment. You know, that kind of idea actually going through, you know, the whole process. Saskia, what do you think? Um, is it a weakness for board boardroom directors and people running our businesses if they haven't had? frontline experience um yeah i think it's a weakness i'd say your suggestion of them coming into a stall would be a really really good idea yeah Yeah. (laughs) just even um to kind of understand what it's exactly you put it exactly right just what how their employees function on a day-to-day basis and what can be improved 
for not just the consumer but for the employees as well. Sure. Um, I think that would be a really, really good idea for people to do. Yeah. yeah. Why not make it part of the induction program? Yeah. yeah. You know, seriously. You might be coming into the business as a CEO yeah, um, or as a supply chain director, marketing director, IT director, whatever it happens to be. But, you know, why not spend a couple of weeks on the shop floor? Yeah. I think I customers mean, actually really are kind of, they think it's a kind of novelty. They really like that. Yeah. Like I work in um, Cold Drops Yard. Yeah. And there's, there's I love a, that. Great, yeah, there's a, development. There's a mixture between people who've opened shops there where the actual owner of the shop is managing the shop floors in the right. shop floor every day yeah. and people come in and say to us oh we really love your brand we really mm. love your company i'm like it's not mine but thank you <laughs> but i think people consumers really really like that because it's almost like a harking back to days when things were a little bit more authentic maybe yes yeah and not such giant giant corporations well, i think and... you touched on something there because i have a little instinct dial the clock forward a few years I have a feeling that's the way we're going to go, and yeah, the sort definitely. of experience that you find that you've that you're experiencing day to day working in, in Cold Drops Yard um, at King's Cross. Yeah. I think that's the way retail is going to go in the future. I mean, I think I do. I definitely think there's still a role for national chains, but I think mm. artisanal retail, yeah, which is very much the order of the day, especially with this, you know, sustainability movement. Everyone yeah. wants to kind of shop smaller, shop less, yeah. and shop well. I don't, yeah, yeah. don't know how that's going to pan out shopping less, but yeah, maybe It'll be interesting. Um, what about companies that could include your voice in brand decisions and customer-facing problems? Or, or let's let me rephrase that. What do you think, Saskia, companies could do to better include your voice in decisions they're making as a brand and in relation to customer-facing problems? Um, I really think that we've touched on it already, but I really think that the CEOs or whoever's at the top top of the yeah. company coming into the store maybe not even to work on the shop floor but just to ask the store managers and maybe the part-time retail assistants what they think could be improved because I'm a lot of the money is made online now and it's almost like there's the retail store is just to have a store there mm. to be in the environment yeah um but you can't get that much feedback off people who are working running the online store because yeah. they're not customer facing they're not interfacing with yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly so it is you know it's like an eight hour a day focus group why mm. would you not take advantage of it totally that's a great way of describing it mm. what would you say sophie um yeah i think um what might be a nice idea i know um some places do this but like um practically if you have sort of um a staff intranet or like access uh to a, like a, a staff front for your for your website uh, for the company that you're working for if there's like some kind of like ideas portal mm -hmm. that's actually monitored and and taken seriously by the company mm. I think that's a good way to sort of see ideas materialize from the bottom up um, and even to sort of you know go forward with that and and see almost like the status of your idea mm, and see if it's being idea. considered yeah. you know by by management or you know by digital marketing or yeah. whatever team it would be relevant to um yeah i think that's a fantastic i think that's a fantastic idea you know to actually give you the visibility of what what the what the business is seeing through or at least what they've done with your ideas you know yeah. And, and and I'm sure you would be understanding if they said, look, sorry, but we've got other priorities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to come back and look at this in, you know, quarter two, 2020, yeah. for example. Or this is a really great idea. You know, we're going to actually go and try to develop this mm -hmm. and to keep you in the loop with regards to how that's progressing. Yeah, I think that touches on a, on a really important point for me, which, again, going back to 
being an organisation that genuinely puts employees at the heart of what they do and puts employees first is that transparency mm-hmm. and that openness and that candour. Um, and I think that, you know, that for me anyway, my personal experience, and I don't think it's changed much today, but when certainly when, with my experience being in retail businesses as well, is, you know, just having that trust of your of your colleagues and, and, and being open with them. And, and I think it's the same with customers. You know, I think it's all right to say to customers, you know what, we're not perfect, but we're trying. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're doing. You know, this is how we're trying to improve things. But just be patient. Give us a bit of time because we can't do it overnight. You know, mm-hmm. I think people are generally more forgiving, aren't they, when when there's that level of openness and transparency? Yeah. What I'd like to finish with, and um, it's just really one one thing, because I do hope that, and, I, and I'm sure quite a few boards will be listening to this podcast. So if you were to give one piece of advice you know, for a board of directors, one thing they could do differently. So don't wear the hat of the businesses you're either working for or have worked for, but just with your overall experience, both as someone someone who's worked in retail, but also as a consumer, what do you think retailers need to do better? Saskia? Um, pay the London living wage. Okay. And then I promise all of your employees will care a lot more okay. about their jobs and about well, selling there you things. go, pay the London living wage and you won't have the churn and the recruitment costs and the training and the issues around staff who don't who maybe aren't experienced enough to give the right level of yep. service because exactly. of that turnover of, of employment. Well, that's pretty direct. Thank yep. you for that. <laughs> Sophie? Um, to, for there to be a relationship between um, people working on the floor and upper levels of management uh, to give the opportunity to upskill um, and to value the views and opinions of your staff as well as pay competitively. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, so pay competitively and provide that, that opportunity for people to feel valued because yeah. they've got a contribution to make that is being listened to by the hierarchy of the business. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty clear advice as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Listen, this has been really great fun. I could go on all day. Uh, sadly, none of us can. We've all got somewhere to go. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to Consumer Focus with me, Martin Newman, the Customer Experience Champion, and my guests, Sophie Charlotte and Saskia Wood. I hope you're going to join me next time to discuss the latest in consumer concerns. Thank you very much. Thank you.